Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit gptoronto2017.facetofacegames.com to register and learn more. For first strike number 29. This is KYT for some. It's for real. I was late. Hashtag blame car. <laughs> I'm sorry, boys. Um, before we get into it, things, I just want to mention our sponsor, faceofacegames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. Just had a lot of work today. 10% off uh, weekend sale. Just went nuts. Tons of orders. And uh, yeah, that's why, I, that's why I came home late. And I. I have to apologize to the boys, but are uh, you guys doing okay, Brian? Yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, my time's not valuable, KYT. I'll just sit here and, and wait for you all night. Don't worry about it. Take your time, man. Seriously, there's something else you want to go work on before we cast? Or... <laughs> sorry, Brian. I'm sorry. Uh, so let's just get right to it uh, before we get to all the, um, the, the meat that uh, we want to discuss. I'm really excited, especially with certain topics with these guys and, and, and their disagreements. Uh, but first, I got tweeted by Spencer Howland about uh, GP Manila because a blue-white deck that Brian was thinking that maybe I would eventually tune into ended up winning the GP. Uh, blue-white, just basically the blue-white flash card, uh, a deck that I've played before, uh, replacing uh, Glorybound Initiate and then being really aggressive. Um, but... Because it's a Manila, we're not going to take put too much stock on this result, are we, Brian? Uh, I think you have to you have to acknowledge the result. It's you know I think we all have gotten to the place where we do believe that Blue White probably has a good Marvel matchup. Uh, if you tell me it beats anything else consistently, I will probably disagree with you. But I can totally see this deck having a fine matchup against Marvel. So. I, I don't think it's worth writing off. It, it's certainly like if you're ranking the hierarchy of results, you'll put it a little bit further down the list. But yeah, this is a real result. It's, it's worth noting if you, you know, are playing a metagame that's absolutely infested with Marvel. Sure, you can play this deck. I think it's a reasonable choice. Uh, Ryoshi Tamata took it down. And I, I was going, based on our previous conversation, how Wizards ends up tweeting the top eight results. Uh, it's Funny, always funny to me because we've been talking about how good Marvel is, and then we see like uh, GP Vanilla, Vanilla, GP Vanilla, GP Manila being like different decks again White Blue Flash, Esper Vehicles, Marvel, Red Green Pummeler, Margu Vehicles, Mono Black Zombies, Green Black Energy, and Vehicles rounding in the top eight. Uh, Rob, just to get your quick thoughts, do you think Blue White Flash might be a good choice. I know we talked about how Teamer Energy might be the next step last episode. What do you think about Blue White Flash and its positioning? Yeah, I mean, decks that can play like a merfolk type of fish game 
are going to be good against Marvel, right? They can land a couple early threats and then leave up some counter magic to disrupt them actually being able to cast a Wulmog for four mana. And that, <laughs> that seems fine. Uh, it's funny, the, that blue-white deck, um, we had actually, this is the list, or not this list, this was very close to the list I brought to Nashville with me, that Derek and I were like, spending the first two days of us being down there trying to like, find all the dumb cards from that deck that we didn't have, like spell quellers <laughs> and all the stupid lands. And then when we finally got it all, uh, we didn't like its matchup versus Mardu uh, or Zombies, so we got off of it. And then Sammy uh, actually built a deck that's very close to the Esper Vehicles deck. And we're like, okay, maybe this is the good, a good thing to try. And we, we tried that out, and also we just didn't like the matchup against Zombies and Mardu. <laughs> but it did crush Marvel. Um, now that the metagame's like 50% Marvel, yeah, I mean, these decks are going to be a lot better, right? They don't have to worry about the things that prey on them. So. Um, Good on these guys, I guess, for for taking a metagame risk and, and it paying off. Um, we had like it, it was a trio of, of GPs. We had GP Amsterdam taken by Lucas Blonde with Black Green Delirium, and also the top eight had some variety. Uh, whether it's Marvel, Red Green, Pummeler showed up again, Esper Vehicles, um, and then the Marvel decks finished ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Though, but then we move on to GP Omaha, where you look at the top eight, and six of them were Marvel. Uh, won by Brad Nelson, defeating Sam Party uh, with Black Green Delirium, with the number eight deck being Teamer Energy. Um, Rob, did you take any away from from these results? Were you like, ah, six Marvel, obviously, type of reaction? I, I mean, I would have expected more Marvel to be prevalent in the top eight across all three GPs. So it's kind of interesting that it didn't show up uh, too much in the, or maybe at all in the top eight of Manila, and then I think maybe one list in Amsterdam, and then obviously just flooded the, the USGP. So it's kind of interesting, but if you look at the top 32 results instead, it is like very prevalent throughout the tournament. So it just looks like it kind of... I, I have to watch the coverage on some of the the um, overseas GPs to see what really happened, but it, it looks like maybe or was on the wrong side of the variance in the last round, <laughs> and a bunch of them ended up like not making the cut. Um, in, in the U.S., obviously, it seems like everyone won their matchups because there was, like, I think Saffron Olive posted, there was 43% of the top 32, like, spread across the three GPs, was Marvel. And that's just, like, complete ludicrous, right? Like, that, that is a very, very, very high percentage. So, I, I don't know, Watsi will <laughs> say that, that Marvel's under control, but if you look a little deeper... Uh, I feel like it still has a nice stranglehold on the format. <laughs> so, so speaking of Saffron, all of you actually tweeted, the last week has been convinced Marvel isn't getting banned next announcement. Uh, lots of subtle non-Marvel is go- doing good stuff from Wizards. Um, Aaron Forsyth replies, regardless of our desires, it makes sense for us to try to counter the overblown sentiment about the state of the format by stating truths. Brian, what do you take away from this? There's, there's a lot to take away from that. And what Aaron is saying is 100% correct. I think that it is important where kind of public opinion becomes this snowball and things get out of control um, that they do shape the narrative a little bit to kind of put a mirror onto the actual facts and to, to show that things aren't out of control. And, you know, the metagame is self-correcting. But there's some requirements to that, and that's the, the, the main requirement is that they have to do so genuinely. Um, so that means you can't say nonsense like we think the 
Dynaval Tower decks are keeping Sahili in check. And you can't do things like sit, like point out that Marvel did not have a good weekend this weekend because Marvel actually had a historically dominant weekend. I can't think of another time where a format was this dominated. And, you know, you can point at these Euro GPs and the Manila GP and say, oh, it didn't crack the top eight that much. Guys, that's, <laughs> you've just reduced your sample size to a one-game window to say whether or not Marvel is a good deck. That's not how you determine if Marvel is dominant. You look at the broader picture. Top 32 is a fine place, but we could go bigger than that. But if you, go to, if you start going to top 32, whatever number you said before, Rob, 43% of the total top 32s across the three GPs, that's historically dominant. Those are all-time numbers. That's an oppressed format. And Marvel is a tremendous problem. And any attempt by Wizards to portray it as otherwise at this point are disingenuous. I do understand his perception that they have a responsibility to kind of curtail these out-of-control narratives. But this, this isn't an out-of-control narrative. This is a real problem with the metagame. 43% share is not good. And then we can get into the next part of this Aaron Forsythe tweet that you're talking about, um, where someone responded to him, you know, regardless of what the numbers are. And the numbers are bad. Let's not downplay that. The numbers are really bad as far as the dominance. He says it doesn't change the fact that Marvel is horribly unfun to play against. And that's really what this problem is. If Marvel was a super interesting, super compelling deck to play with and against, I think we'd have more leeway. But a lot of people don't want to play against this deck. And I also think that the current situation is creating a lot of problems. Because I know I played a PPTQ this weekend. I did horribly. We're not going to talk about that. But I, I didn't play Marvel, which would have been the deck I absolutely would play. Because, it's, like I said, it's historically dominant. The reason I didn't play it is because I didn't want to buy the cards and have them be banned in two weeks. And I talked to other people there who were saying the exact same thing. And at this point, can you really fault me? Like, and, and if I feel that way, imagine someone who's really cash-strapped trying to like, get in and, and play the format. You can't take that kind of risk at this point. It, there's just too much historical um, evidence that, that they, they may act. And, and they probably should act again. We're, we're at a really bad place again. I... I need these conversations to stop. I don't want to keep doing this. Format's in a really bad place. People are not enjoying it. Uh, you know, GP numbers. Look at uh, uh, GP Omaha had 800 people, correct? GP Montreal, 800 people. These are some of the lowest numbers in years for standard GPs. So there's a problem on our hands, and it's going to have to be addressed, and we're going to be here doing a special show in two weeks talking about whatever the result is. And again, whatever the result is, people are going to be unhappy. So we just got to get this metagame back to a place of normalcy. It's, it's, this has been a really tough, raw, uh, long road for the current state of standard, and I, I want it to end. Hmm. What do you think about all this, Doug? get you in here um i think for the most part i agree with what brian was saying the one place i will disagree with him is that i don't think there is any responsibility like objectively for wizards to control the narrative around their game i think that's something that the community itself should sort of self-regulate in the sense that you know if there's enough of an uprising of people saying you know marvel's unfair marvel's hard to play against marvel's unfun to play against there's too much marvel if it wasn't actually the case, there would be a community of people who would come out and say, actually, you're wrong, and you're just complaining for no reason. And we've seen that with other things in, in the history of Magic. So I think Aaron Forsyth saying that it's just, you know, I, we have to do this because it's Wizards' responsibility is just 
another excuse he's using to justify trying to change the narrative around Marvel being oppressive. Um, it's weirdly transparent that he's cherry picking statistics to make it seem like Marvel isn't as oppressive as it is when it's really easy to find the information like we have to just see that it is oppressive and it is a problem. Um, so if he's, you know, trying to champion fact seeking and being honest, it would be a lot more appreciated if he would send tweets out saying, listen, we understand that Marvel isn't in a good place right now. However, there are some other tournaments where we're seeing different results. We still understand the fact that this isn't a good place for standard and we want to fix that going forward or at least in future standard environments, we'll try to avoid this. Like, that's all we're asking for. We're just, don't say you're, you're trying to be honest and seek facts and then write an article about all the 9-0 decks that weren't Marvel at a GP. Like, it's just, it's too obvious what you're trying to do. They, they want to prove that you, it, the beasts can be beaten, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, it, I don't think that um, Marvel being super good is even really the, the problem. It's just... People don't want to play magic like this. That, like that, that's the problem, right? Like if, uh, if Mardu had this type of win percentage, I, I'm not sure that people would be calling for heart of Kieran's head, uh, as much because it's like a standard aggro deck that has like a little bit of a mid range game plan that can go control, but it's like just a bunch of creatures and, and spells, right? That you're playing on curve, but like Marvel is a lot of times in the matchup, uh, so there there are times in the matchup where it, your decisions definitely matter, right? Where it's like, okay, should I jam or should I try and interact? And and that that kind of like counterplay and uh, going back and forth and figuring out like where's your spot uh, matters. And better players are going to get an edge there. And you see like better players uh, doing better on average, right? But the the problem is that there's a bunch of games as well that just come down to like your opponent gets a marvel, you didn't have the piece, and like if they hit, you lose, and if they miss, you might win, and that's just like not that's not fun, right? Um, and so I don't know. I don't know if the Marvel's the problem. I, I think it's Marvel plus Ulamog. I think Marvel plus anything else is probably uh, manageable. And the fact that Ulamog exiles two things and then is indestructible is just <laughs> a very stupid card for four mana. <laughs> And jump blocking it also does nothing. I, I don't know. They need to just like go away from Eldrazi. They're just they're just bad. I hope they never come back to standard anyways. <laughs> they broke modern for a while as well, but yeah, they're just they're terrible. It's a terrible creature type. Any 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 final thoughts on on, on this topic, Brian, since as you brought it up for us? I I I look forward to the day where I can have final thoughts on this topic because I know this is nowhere near a closed topic and we'll be discussing it again. I mean, I remember discussing Marvel right after Kaladesh came out on this podcast. So what are we talking like 20 weeks ago now, probably like episodes eight and nine, we were talking about Marvel and how it was unfun to play against and how it forced you into difficult play decisions where you can never really be a winner. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of crazy ideas floating out there. Things like erratic Marvel to not give cast triggers. And they're just not realistic in this era. I think, you know, 20 years ago, it would have been something we could have talked about doing. Um, but now it's not going to fly. And I don't want to have to look at every single card that comes out over the next year and say, well, what happens if I put this into play of Marvel? Like, I think we were already doing that with the new cards that were spoiled, right? As soon as we saw the Nicole Bolas, we were all thinking, what happens if I put this in a Marvel deck and I'm cheating this on turn four? And yeah, it's really good. Like, there's, there's more counterplay, don't get me wrong. It's not Ulamog blowing up two of your lands and there's nothing you can do about it. 
but it's <laughs> you're still not going to be happy the games you face down a turn four in a cold bolus. You're not going to feel like you played. Um, so, yeah, my final thoughts are: please let me have final thoughts on this. Let it go. <laughs> let me move on to a new era of magic. To the love <laughs> of God. Um, uh, this one's for, to continue a bit on this topic. This one's for you, Rob, because you've played the most out of all of us. In from our first strike nation, Aaron Barrett asks: If Watsi does ban Marvel, what cards do you think will become playable in standard? Panharmonicon, maybe stuff like that. What funky things would you try? Panharmonicon? Okay. No, I hope not. <laughs> Just jam zombies at that point. Um, I think zombies in Mardu uh, become very good again, obviously. And then that might give a little bit more space to the control decks, uh, like a blue-black or a blue-red, uh, obviously become pretty viable. Well, maybe maybe Teamer, like Dynavolt, uh, becomes a deck again. Uh, that, that's probably a, a reasonable spot to be. And I think like any random Teamer mid-range deck that seems to be reasonable right now against Marvel could also be like tailored to be uh, good or at least have like some good interaction versus Zombies or versus... Um, uh, versus Mardu, like we we thought we were in a decent spot, and we were playing like that teamer dragons list that top aided with uh, the green dragon, the four mana bristling dragon, the five mana red glorybringer dragon, and the eight mana elder deep dragon, the, the blue dragon. So uh, <laughs> yeah, twelve twelve dragons is also like a, a reasonable game plan. I, I just think that's that's not like a a great standard. And, and, oh, you have green black as well, right? Green black also gets a lot better with with Marvel leaving the format. So I mean, I think that's a reasonable format. You have like five decks that are probably all able to take down a tournament uh, any any given week and no one's like surprised and then you probably have space underneath that to innovate and do different things like maybe Aetherflux Reservoir or like some Panharmonicon value deck with Displacer and Drowner of Hope be, can be better right because you don't have this like looming threat of just getting like Ulamogged on turn four uh, just like hanging over you because there's no point in being a combo deck if you can't combo faster than uh faster than marvel right it's just like they're just doing a, a better thing that has a better early game better late game plan than you so yeah i mean I, I think the format would be would be good i think it would be probably very good and people like to play the magic that that format would allow <laughs> so uh i just i don't think they're gonna ban it i think uh the best we can hope for is that smuggler's copter gets unbanned um which i very much hope they do there are lots of answers to that card in standard right now, and it would not be the worst card in the format, which is kind of weird. That tells you where the state of the format is right now. <laughs> I uh, I am playing Blue White Flash. If, if if my best friend comes back to the format, and, uh, <laughs> likely likely doing well with it. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Teamer Dragons and why. Um, you mentioned it in our, in our group discussion. You wanted people to be able to differentiate that there are specific flavors of, of Teamer in the standard format, right? There's Teamer Dragons, Teamer Midrange, Teamer Energy, and they're all sort of different. Teamer Marvel. Let's not forget Teamer Marvel. Teamer Marvel, of course. <laughs> yeah, they're all uh, kind of uh, focusing on a different area of uh, where they want to be good, right? Like the Energy deck is a little bit more in the early game. Like, they're usually playing Long Tusk Cub. Sometimes they're playing Voltaic Brawl or something like that. So they're kind of playing more uh, like like a fish deck where they you know they have a bunch of good creatures and they want to leave up some negates or, or dispels or whatever and interact with their opponent that way. Uh, where the, the Dragon deck is going like quite a bit more mid-range, so it's planning to be just deploying bigger threats turn after turn, kind of like overpowering their opponent like a just a normal red-green kind of mid-range Dragon deck. And then 
uh, yeah, you have energy control decks and, and Marvel, obviously, like, doing something different. But the, the team or colors just have so many good options for, like, early game threats and uh, just taking over the mid the mid game. And then, the obviously, the Marvel being the best choice and that it ha- also just has the best late game <laughs> uh, game plan, too, right? So I, I think that's where it becomes a little bit unfair and you, you know... That that's why the metagame is unbalanced. Like you just have a deck that has the best early, mid, and late game, and it's never going to be great. <laughs> Are you willing to play? Uh, would you recommend all the flavors, or or some of them significantly weaker than than the others right now? Um, I think the like the uh, oh, I, I would play Marvel if I was playing in an event. If you don't want to play Marvel. Um, I think that the Teamer Dragons deck that top aided um, Omaha, I think it was, is fine. But I would cut the Deep Fiends for something else. Um, like that, that card is like situationally fantastic and situationally the worst card you've ever <laughs> drawn in your life. Uh, and I think you can do better. And also, like the deck only wants to play one island, um, so like sometimes you find yourself not being able to to like attune for the island that you need, right? I mean, there's lots of ways to produce blue mana in the deck, but I, I had situations where I was like, man, it would be really nice to be able to hit an island here, but I had one in my opening hand, and now this deep fiend's going to kind of hang around a little bit longer than I'd like it to. So um, I, I think there's just better options um, than, than to play that card. You probably could just play some main deck counterspells or, or something else more interesting. But yeah, I mean, the deck looks... deck looks, seems fine. If people are going to be playing blue-white flash and stuff like that, then uh, it's definitely... Reasonable against that, you probably want to put some sweltering suns in the board. I think you want to make a quick comment on Negate versus uh, Ceremonious Rejection. Oh, Did sure. You... Yeah, so we we spent a lot of time discussing this uh, after day one at the PT, and uh, we were playing four Negates at the PT because we weren't like exactly sure that like, that's what people were doing, right? And, and it hits Planeswalkers, and it hits some other stuff, and we didn't know how much control there was going to be. Like, the PT is kind of a weird spot. Right now, the metagame is very well known. Uh, you can make some better decisions. And my, my argument, I was arguing with Derek in the car. It was like just him and two other guys were just like not having it. Fournier was one of the other people. I was like, they would not let me get to my point. <laughs> but I was like trying to see if it was reasonable uh, after the PT to like take the same structure of deck, but maybe like swap the negates for ceremonious rejection. Because I was finding that like I couldn't play my rogue refiner on turn four and leave up a counter spell. So now I was like down uh, a threat, right? And then the game would end and they would be at six or something. And it's like, well, if I just could have played that rogue refiner return earlier, like I probably could have pressured them enough to, to get them. Right. And sometimes they'll play Marvel into like your open one blue mana because they're, they, you know, expecting the gate and you kind of get them with ceremonies rejection. And the argument from the other guys was kind of like, well, you know, there's other things you want to counter. And I'm like, you know, my thought back to them was, you know, is there like, does anything really, uh, is there anything else that matters? I'm like, you can also just get an Ulamog, right? if they already have it down and then you draw it. So it's not like completely dead. Um, so I, I think the guy probably made the right decision there and that he, he found out that the only way he was losing is because he was wasting time, not casting his threats and leaving up mana for a negate. And then the, the Marvel deck was also just like, okay, well, whatever, you're not playing Marvel. So I'll just play Rogue Refiners and Roll of Virtuosos and we'll just, we'll just go there until I have six mana, and now I'll just negate your negate when I cast my Marvel, right? Which is like a very common play pattern they'll, they'll do to you. It makes it very difficult for you to have <laughs> two counter spells. You're not going to leave up four mana every turn, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I do like the Ceremonious Rejection. I think it's probably the correct choice if you're expecting lots of Marvel, but I don't know what's going to happen to the metagame going forward. I feel like the next event, people are going to be 
pretty brazen and feel like they can take on the world. And then you'll probably just see a top eight filled with Marvel decks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I, I think that's great advice for anyone uh, playing. If, if anyone disagrees with Rob, like leave leave your thoughts in the comments. Give us the feedback. Um, moving on troll to me on, troll me on Twitter. Troll yeah. him on Twitter at <laughs> Robert Lombardi <laughs> zero. Uh, Vince, Vince, I think Vince found this. Um, yeah, Vince found this in credit to Vince. I want to. I, I did it wrong in one of the first episodes we've done. Yep. So. <laughs> um, this one's pretty pretty interesting. I uh, really want your thoughts on this. When Owen uh, tweeted that, um, talked about magic. Like he also tweeted that he's uh, currently tag teaming with Brock Parker in a WSOP tag team event. And then I guess one of his fans or followers asked him, why, like, why would the best player in the world play less magic? Uh, separate tweets, but uh, uh, Owen Turnwall said, it's a large time investment and hard work for minimal financial and emotional reward. I told myself I was going to play less magic this year, but then I made platinum by accident and I have some chance at Worlds. See in Omaha. So what does that give us that the best player, arguably the best player to, to some, the best player in the world wants to play less magic, uh, Vince. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to this tweet and I think it depends on who you ask, what the like sort of response is. The first thing you got to ask yourself is, is this a problem, right? Is this something that, that the magic community and people at Watsi, let's say should be worried about the fact that someone who's touted as the best player in the world actively He's won player of the year, I think, twice, or he's been in the running twice. I know he won it at least once. Um, he's saying it's not feasible for him to play. This is the guy who's most likely, you could argue, to win the tournaments that he's going to. And he's saying, I'm better off not going to tournaments just because, quote unquote, the EV isn't there for me. Um, to a lot of people in the Magic community, that's a scary thing to hear because I know. And whether or not you're going to admit it, there are plenty of people out here who believe, who have a pipe dream that one day they could be a professional Magic player and be on the tour and live the dream and make it their full-time career, so to speak. And the reality is, and I mean, a lot of us have known this for a long time, but the reality is that's, that's not, it doesn't work. That's not a thing that can happen. With that being said, if you're the best player in the world, maybe there should be an opportunity for that person to have some type of, uh, you know, full-time career that they can easily make out of, out of this game. Um, I don't know if that's true though. And I don't know if that's required. That being said, it seems like wizards of the coast wants that or Hasbro wants that perception of the game. They want people to feel like this is something they could pursue, uh, treat it almost like an esport, the way league of legends or hearthstone is treated in that there's serious prize money available, and it's something that if you invest a lot of time into, you could get a serious financial reward from. Um, so I think if this tweet and this information is something that a lot of people start reading into, this is something that Watson needs to address, right? Like, this is the type of stuff that really flies in the face of what watsy has been trying to do for the last 12 months in terms of progressing their brand and their, their image of magic as this sort of new frontier of competitive esports slash card game um yeah it, it's a problem for that if if that's what they're trying to pursue as as magic being something that you could do professionally okay so uh resident expert of esports uh, from first strike team ryan godley uh, what's your <laughs> what's your reaction to this 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that we've we've known for a long time, but it's important that Owen's saying it. Um, I mean, I, I can just start from my personal experience. Like, I'm an okay Magic player. You know, I have like a, I, I don't know if you'd call it a resume. I, I've won money at Magic tournaments, including three out of the four Pro Tours I've been to. I have a GP top eight. I am down thousands of dollars in my magic career many thousands of dollars between flights and cards and all that other stuff i mean maybe if you like you know look at the cards i've held for 20 years that have gained a ton of value and i've cashed out okay like probably net lifetime being involved in magic is a net positive for me but tournament magic i'm down thousands of dollars so after you factor in all the costs uh and i'm okay at the game so the question is like where does the line have to be drawn um for people to be able to make a good living because i thought about this i was talking with a friend of mine john kapoor about uh fighting game tournaments today and fighting game tournaments are kind of in the news because one of the best uh melee players kind of went off on nintendo because nintendo does a horrible job um kind of embracing the competitive smash brothers community they really they just aren't involved they don't put money in into the prize pool they don't foster the community it's all like homegrown there's basically no nintendo backing to the smash community uh and so he kind of went off on nintendo for not being more involved but the absolute elite players of that game make more money than the absolute elite players of magic for sure now it's different because there's no variance in that game and there's little small instances of variance but not again it's not a game based on variance like the game that we play so it's always going to be difficult for to kind of filter in that way but i'll also say that while the top like probably four or five melee players in the world i think do better than magic players everyone else below that does so much worse like it's not even close to being feasible for those people to continue to travel around and play these tournaments at a net game because only a few people are are winning consistently um at least it seems that way to me as an outsider if i'm wrong and someone has better information than i do you can certainly correct me but that's just my perception of it as someone who's not deeply vested in the community um, so as far as how this all wraps back around to magic, it is a problem. It's been a problem for quite some time now. I don't know if it's going to ever be addressed. And it's, it's funny that there has been instances of successful communities kind of, you know, forging their own way without the support of the parent organization. So maybe that's the next evolution for Magic. I don't, I don't really see it happening as long as the Pro Tour exists. And I think like Star City kind of postured like this for a moment before they realized, okay, this is not the right path to take and actually the money's not there. Um, but maybe at some point there'll be a new challenger who comes up and becomes the de facto tournament series and it's run separately from Wizards. And it's funny because it doesn't seem like you can do it by just putting money on the line because we've seen these super high stakes tournaments just completely flop in the past. The Cardmageddon incident in Las Vegas where they just like advertised a huge prize payout tournament then nobody showed up then they didn't pay anyone like it was just a complete disaster um so i, I don't know I, I don't really see this happening but something has to change if there's going to continue to be a competitive magic scene and i'm not sure what it's going to be i think just on that point that you just made brian i i'm correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure watsi has gone out of their way to prevent high stakes magic from being a thing because they don't want their brand associated with that sort of high stakes kind of quote unquote gambling environment. Like I've heard that they've actively tried to DCI ban people who have, I, who have tried to organize these tournaments. I've heard rumors of that. I, I don't know how much of it is true. 
Right. It doesn't, I mean, cause like, you know, the star city invitational pays out $10,000 and I don't think they, they're trying to ban Pete Hoffling. You know what I mean? Like, I, right, I, I right. just don't know. I, I, I don't know what kind of lines they're drawing. I don't have any hard evidence of them doing so. So I can't really comment on that, but it, it does kind of fit with some of the narratives that we've looked into in the past of, um, you know, distancing the game from high stakes and distancing the game from gambling. I just don't have any evidence of that. So I, I couldn't speak to that authoritatively. That's fair. That's fair. I, I just, I think the problem is that the, the prize payout is not based on number of players and entry fee of said players. It's just a fixed marketing budget that they're okay spending every year. Right. So like, it's just not representative of what the people that go to those events want from the tournament. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's kind of weird. And I think uh, them outsourcing it to channel fireball is probably not, <laughs> not going to help, I guess, uh, in any way. And I, I kind of, I don't, I don't like know what Owen's talking about, but it, it kind of makes sense. Right. Where he's like, reached the pinnacle really of his career, right? He's in the hall of fame. Now he doesn't need to do any work really to qualify for the PTs and, and go places. Um, and he keeps hitting uh, platinum because he's very good. But like the amount of time you need to put into that is like super annoying. Like right now I'm very much trying to hit silver because I've never hit silver before. But once I, I do that, like hitting silver won't be a thing for me. Like I'll, I'll I was, like, it's kind of a, a checkbox on my list. And if I'm at a spot where it's like, I have to put in tons of work just to hit silver again. That's probably not something I'm going to do uh, after I reach that goal once. Right. But if I get close to gold haphazardly, then I'll probably put in a bunch of effort to try and hit it um, just to kind of like say you did it or whatever. Right. So I feel like he's probably at that spot where like he can say he did it. And now it's just like, is it worth playing a hundred hours a week of magic to be making like 40 K a year or whatever it is that he makes. And it's like, no, probably not. You would make more money, you know, in your yearly salary working at McDonald's if you just spent your time doing that than if you were playing Magic. And that's, like, you know, not good for the competitive scene. I don't know if Wizards needs to care about that, but uh, if they wanted to live, I, I agree with everyone else that, you know, they need to fix it. I'm not sure what the answer is, but it probably starts with paying out more and not paying a bunch of money to a third party to run your events and make them rich for, for literal and no benefit to you other than, you know, outsourcing that work, I guess. But. Well, I think you have to go one way or the other, right? You either go wizards manages everything or wizards just goes completely hands off and lets other people organize tournaments. Right. Oh, because like you, channel fireball is, is in charge of the prize prizing. People exactly. Well. That's what, yeah, like, that, that's fine. That's also fine. You have they to can go pop one it up way to a certain other. level or something like still, you know, put in something from their marketing budget if yeah. that's what they need to do. But yeah, I, I agree. That would also be uh, just fine. <laughs> just I think fine. went the other way in terms of allowing TOs to manage their own prize support based on entry fees, you would see a big change in the way tournaments went. And it would favor pr- the people who are winning, I, w- I would think, to a large extent. But I don't know if Wizards would ever be comfortable doing that. Yeah. I, I, it, we'll see. We'll see. It's- <laughs> It's definitely an interesting topic, though. Maybe a deeper discussion on another day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Brian, what, what would your next step be if you were uh, Puppet Master uh, Brian Gottlieb? Puppet Master Brian Gottlieb, what would he do? <sighs> I guess I'd just throw money at the problem. That's kind of how I handle most problems in my life, is just try and throw money at them until they go away. 
I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, we've, t- we've talked about options a bunch of times, scaling payouts. I, we can't keep having the same discussions. It's just on them to be like, here's some money to fix this. And, and that's the only way to do it. You can make tournaments more top-heavy, but then it's just like hyper-variance. And, you know, a, a, but then you're at kind of like the Smash Brothers point where a couple people are going to make a living, but you're not guaranteeing it's the best players of the game are making a living when you do that. That's the problem in comparison to things like Smash Brothers. If you top load the fighting game tournaments, so the first place makes $60,000, then the best players in the world are probably going to walk away with that $60,000 over a vast majority of the times. You know, it doesn't happen where a fluke player wins these tournaments. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know. I, I mean, you could talk more, you could talk about putting more into the players club just making it a lot easier to travel to things, uh, having <laughs> Wizards Travel handle like all your GP travel and getting you to all the GPs. If you start getting sponsorship money, again, I, I'm a fighting game outsider, but it seems to me like all these sponsored fighting game players, they kind of get their travel paid for it by their sponsors. You know, organizations like Echo Fox are very big into the fighting game scene now. Um, you know, and the, all the, these other typical esports. So, So maybe if we can get over to digital platforms for magic and we can start talking about getting those groups involved but there's just not eyes on the product now for those groups to be incentivized to participate like why would echo fox come and get involved in magic when streams for smash brothers are getting you know five times the viewers and i I don't know i I don't know what the right answer is it's a really complicated situation that has kind of sprung up through years of neglect like they didn't get in on the boom and they were they had the best game they still have the best game even with all the issues that we're having right now they still have the best game in the world and they saw this boom in competitive esports rising and they actually had the head start they knew how this worked they've had skin in the game for years and they just let it sail by a little bit and now they have to play catch up and it does seem like they want to play catch up, but it's still you got you got to put in the legwork. It's got to happen. So I was always curious about those uh, fighting games, Ryan, because when I watch them, like I know I follow really casually. I do watch Evo. I do know that Justin Wong at least was or still is part of Evil Genius. But all these names, I, I think he's me, Fox now. I don't know what they sell, really. I just know these names, really. They, they like, don't sell. I mean, Echo Fox is just an esports organization. Man, like. That's like it. And they're willing to put, like, how are they making the money? That always perplexes me. I wish me. I could tell you. I, I honestly don't know how they're making money. First of all, they're backed by Rick Fox, a former, former NBA player. So they had oh, deep sh- pockets to begin with. The Lakers guy. Wow. Yeah, the Lakers guy. And he's, he's really into it. Like, he shows up at his team's League of Legends games. Um, so where are they getting their money? I, I think they then sell advertising to other people. I think, and they like put their patches on the jerseys, and and you know, Echo Fox only uses one brand of mouse or something, and and that's where most of their money comes from. And plus, a lot of those games do have payouts, but I don't know if they're taking a portion of the players' payouts. That seems weird. If it's the organization getting the payouts as opposed to the players, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't have the answers for you. I I would love to know more about fighting game economics. I was t- I was talking again. I was talking with John today. I find. That, the parallels between our two subcultures and they are subcultures. Like we are very segregated from reality and most people in the way we talk to each other and, and the way we discuss things and kind of the things that we see as normal to most people. If I told you I was flying across the country 
to play a game that I honestly don't think I have a chance at winning, they'd be like, well, why would you do that? And just like, well, that's what I do. Like, I can't really tell you, but you guys would understand if I, if I told you I was doing that, you wouldn't think twice. Um, and, and fighting games are the same way. They have a subculture, they have their own language, they have things that they know. Uh, and it's really interesting to see the parallels between magic subculture and the fighting game subculture. Um, I, th- I think we do a lot of things better than them. They do a lot of things better than us. But uh, it, it's, it's a fascinating topic and one that if our viewers know more about, I'd love to hear about. Yeah, like, I've heard about Evil Genius for so long, but just didn't know like, what they're selling, what, they're, like, what oh, that name, that, the brand, what it was for financially. Really curious um, to, to know more if anybody in the chat or listeners know more. Definitely uh, can chime in. Uh, there's been talk, I'm not going to mention any specific uh, Twitter or Facebook, there has been talk that some people, at least some pros have mentioned, um, and it's been brought on the Twitterverse that they regret investing time into magic, all, all that skill, all that time, because it used to take a lot of skill, it used to take a lot of time and effort, and now they feel like we've gone down that road where the game is more coin flippy. So I guess they, they feel maybe that uh, their, their investment of time was, was ill-placed or, or whatever. Does that make sense at all, Rob? Yeah, I mean, if you just look at what's standard, like what, what's good and standard right now with Marvel and, and decks like that, right? Where it's like your decisions matter less on average turn after turn in the way that some matchups turn out. Yeah, like I can definitely see them making an argument for that in, in some cases, right? But I think there's also a lot of matchups where it does matter. Like it, even before where Sahili was super annoying to play against, like Mardu versus Sahili or Sahili versus Sahili or the Mardu Mirror, like there were a lot of decisions that actually mattered. And if you knew how to make them correctly, you had like a significant edge against your opponent, right? But I feel like Marvel, that, that's definitely lessened. Or you, even if it's not, it feels like it is which is like kind of giving the same bad taste in people's mouths that these pros are, are kind of whining about. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like ever since Watsy found out there was like a commander market and they started pushing a lot of these cards to the casuals and the people that are like casual competitive, like they're not going to a GP, but they're going to FNM. Like you want these people to be able to win uh, sometimes, right? If they lose every single time they play, they're never coming back to the store. So I feel like the game is kind of designed to keep them in now and keep them interested. And this, that's kind of like the, the way it has to be. If you want, if you want those people to do that, right? Like if you want your time investment to count and, and after you've made it, you'll always be great. Then play chess or something, right? Like magic is, has variants in it for, for a reason. And, and the game changes like what's good and what's bad and how to play and what strategies are, are effective right now. I'm like, so I, I don't think their argument holds much water, but I can, I can see where they're coming from. I just, I don't think that it's going to change. I, I mean, I think uh, that that's where, where Watsi wants the game to be. They want you, the best player in the world, to be able to lose to like some kid that's there playing in his like third FNM, right? Because when he does it, he's super happy. Like I know sometimes when I get beat at FNM, people are like legit, very excited. It's like, you know, I, I wouldn't be, shouldn't be that. I'm just me, right? Like... <laughs> Imagine if they beat Owen or something, right? They'd be just ecstatic. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, in, it's important, especially for, like, the LGS scene. Uh, but they could tone it down maybe just a little, just a little bit. 
Uh, I have to agree with uh, your points, especially uh, if you really want to not regret your, your time investment, whatever, then go with something where the rules aren't going to just completely flip on you or where chess has stayed basically the same for a long time now and, and all the strategy books you're, you're reading is going to be relevant unless there's some new theory, but uh, with, with computer chess being so strong at this point, I, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, are you are you all siding with Rob on this, uh, Vince? Yeah, for the most, I I think I take a, a stronger stance against that opinion. Like, if if you regret the time you spent playing Magic, that's completely on you. It has nothing to do with the game changing. Like, it, what it depends on, I guess, the reason why you're you're you regret investing the time into Magic. It probably means you were playing Magic for the wrong reasons to begin with. Like. A, either you were playing Magic because you wanted to start winning something consistently by getting good at it, so you picked the wrong game, or B, you, you regret playing Magic because you wanted to make it a career or make money off of it, which was also stupid and wrong, or you regret playing Magic because it wasn't fun, which you should have quit a while ago then if you're not having fun. Like The reason why you should be playing this game is because you enjoy playing the game, and if you enjoy playing the game, you wouldn't regret the time you spent playing the game because you enjoy playing the game. So anyone who's saying, you know, I've invested so much time into this game and I regret it, you made a decision at some point in your life that probably wasn't correct and pursued it too aggressively. And that's what you're regretting. And it's no one's fault but your own. Like, that's the, that's the reality of the situation. Hmm. I, I imagine you, you concur with all this, Brian, or did you have some, like, hot, spicy uh, take here? Well, I, I just think that... I think what they're saying is genuine, but I also think they're participating in revisionist history. I don't think they ever made a conscious decision to acquire skills at Magic because they thought it would serve them throughout their lives. Like, that's kind of how they're portraying it. That's not what happened. They enjoy playing Magic. They made some money at it, and they kept doing it. Like, they were never like, wow, I'm really investing in my future right now by grinding out these games of the, of the blue-white mirror. Like, no, <laughs> that, was, that was not part of the conscious thought process. They did not think they were setting themselves up for life by acquiring Magic skills. They love magic. They're disappointed there isn't more money in magic and there isn't more skill in magic, rightly so. But you, you, can't, you can't rewrite the past. Like You, you didn't acquire these skills because you were 100% sure they were going to serve you for the rest of your life. You acquired them because you love the game and because you were naturally gifted at the game and you made a little money doing it and, and that's fine. But let's, you know, one of the things that's important for actually motivating real change is to not overstate the scale of the problem because it makes you sound ridiculous this is a little bit overstating the scale of the problem like there's not a generation of of lost children who are out there just grinding 50 hours of magic a week and now they have nowhere to go and we as a society have to feed them because they're they're all homeless their magic skills didn't work out to what they thought they would be like that's kind of how this is being portrayed and it's it's very overstated and a little silly um but there there is some merit to what they're saying all righty so I, we, we had forgot, back to the standard, Rob, you, you mentioned it, sort of, about one of the decks. You mentioned the name of it, but you didn't talk about how you were going, you're trying to make this deck work. So let's hear a bit more about this mono blue uh, reservoir deck. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, uh, I get bored uh, sometimes when I'm playing Moto, and... Uh, you know, you like draft a bad deck and then you lose the first round and you don't really want to finish the league right away because you know you're 
you're probably going to like win the next round and then lose the third. So it's like a, just a waste of two hours or whatever. So when that happens, I usually build some stupid standard deck and try and work on it <laughs> for a bit. So I thought, okay, well, Marvel's good. So I'm going to try and build a standard deck that has islands in it uh, so that I can interact with the Marvel, the, the Marvel, sorry. Uh, so I've been working on a, a mono blue. Well, it was blue white originally. Uh, Aetherflux Reservoir deck, like Paradoxal Outcome, uh, and a bunch of zero drops. And the deck is like close to being not garbage. It's like, you know, just on the cusp of being uh, at a spot where like you can probably start tuning it for an actual event. But the pieces just don't line up. It's like missing an additional one drop or two drop. Um, but I feel like if Marvel wasn't in the format, it probably could uh, have a little bit more space to breathe. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like experimenting like this <laughs> every every once in a while. Uh, I, I, I put Baral in it and Baral's expertise, and that has been like a really good uh, improvement and also like inspiring statuary with pull from tomorrow for like, you know, eight or nine is a, is a good way to like just untap and win the game the next turn. But uh, just it's difficult to get that to get that reservoir, the first reservoir out. And uh, it's still not great against Marvel, even though I, I do actually feel favored in the matchup. But when you play something like zombies, they just they just run you over and then dispossessed just grabs the reservoir from your deck. <laughs> and it's GG's. So, yeah, I don't know. The deck probably is uh, not going to be good enough unless something spicy is printed in uh, in Hour of Devastation. But I guess uh, all the cards are still legal for another year, right? So, like, the whole deck is Kaladesh block. So, maybe something pops up uh, later. I tried SRAM. He just, like, was not quite good enough. All right. I, w- I wish someone could, could do something to make the deck good, though. It is fun to go off. It reminds me of Amulet Bloom. I was like, I just take, like, an eight-minute turn, and then you're dead. <laughs> if anyone could uh, help Rob on uh, maybe some ideas for his deck, it would be sweet. Um, I'll, post, I'll post my list on Twitter, and then you guys can... Uh, Yell at me on how bad it is, but maybe one of you out there will have a reasonable suggestion. I can try it out <laughs> while I'm uh, while I'm procrastinating finishing they some won't. draft league. Don't worry, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> some people love the brew. Some people love it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Prove Vince wrong, community. <laughs> yeah, let's let's see it. Let's see it. Uh, so I'm. Totally missed on this. Uh, we didn't do it last episode because it was actually released last Wednesday. Magic Online Admin Cat Championships and Constructed PTQ Changes. Uh, specifically, Constructed PTQ Changes. I'm going to read the gist. Um, a paragraph or two from the uh, little article here. The original system of Pro Tour Qualifiers and Magic Online were single tournaments that all players could join. Unfortunately, these events became too big and resulted in unpleasant uh, player experiences to unpleasant player experiences to resolve this. We split them into five round preliminary events and finals events that could be joined by earning four or more wins in the finals. As we have examined the system it is clear that for limited qualifiers, this system is still necessary. However, we believe constructed can su- succeed under the old system as a single large event. While these events will be larger and longer than finals today, it won't require preliminary, and so players can get through the qualification in a single day. Wow. So, hmm. That's interesting. Um, I've I've played preliminaries before, and I kind of 
I guess I liked it in a way because it, it was short. I could just play one at any time because they ran so frequently. And then I knew that the finals wouldn't be like huge. So I, I but uh, if they're going back to this single big thing, would I hate it either? Eh, I mean, play an extra few rounds. I'm not really sure. Uh, Rob, what's, what's your take? Do you, did you play many uh, preliminaries and PTQs in the past? Uh, I played a few, but not too many. It was difficult for me to like block off the entire Saturday or Sunday or whatever to uh, to play in the event. So if I found out, I, I guess my my problem for not playing them more was that I wouldn't know I was free on Saturday until Saturday, and then like there's no prelim to like get in, get qualified, and then and then jump in right. So I was like more uh, able to play like mocks opens, mocks monthly opens or whatever. Where it's like I just have a bunch of QPs hanging around. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm I'm free today. Like nothing's going on. I'll just jump in and do that. Which is it's like kind of like a PTQ as well, right? Um, so this actually uh, works out better for me because now on Sunday, if I'm if I just happen to be free, I can just like jump in and I don't have to pre-qualify. But the fact that it's standard only is not super great. <laughs> I would it'd be nice if they swapped over the limited ones too. I'm not sure why they only did. Uh, no, it, it would be a complete nightmare if they did why? limited. It'd be like six hundred person limited PTQs on mobile. Oh, they want it. They, they don't. They think that less people are going to play standard, so that's why. Yeah, well, less people have. That's why they're doing this, right? It's just, I see. It's just in tandem with everything else that's going on right now, with no one playing standard, and they're like, "Well, we don't want thirty five person <laughs> PTQs on Moto, so I guess we're just going to get rid of prelims now." Like, I don't think this was something they they added to be like look at us, we're trying to make things better for you. They were just realizing, like, this could actually become a serious problem if... I don't know, they should just do, like, a on-demand for, like, two hours or something then, right? Where it's, like, every... However many people it makes sense, like, 128 or 256 people, like, as soon as it gets to 256, then, boom, a PTQ fires, right? And then a new one opens up. Yeah, but it only... The window's only open for an hour, so that you don't have, like, you know... 800 people invited to the PT like on a random Saturday or something you know what I mean but like like the window's open for a certain amount of time until uh, until it makes sense and then yeah like I, I don't know what the number would be but let's say probably 256 is probably reasonable then they could probably fire like two or three of those right on the same day like all within between 10 and 11 o'clock or something like that like that, yeah. that seems reasonable but, I mean you want to get in the third one probably right because it's not going to be full but I feel Whatever. like the qualifier should be a, an, a time period being open, but a fixed number of flights. That would probably make more sense. A like time. at max, they'll fire five flights of 256. Rather oh, than sure. We'll be yeah, open yeah, yeah, that's fine. yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, too. yeah. But that's actually a really good idea. They should do hire that. me, Watsi. Hire me. <laughs> I bring you good news all the time. Brian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, does that sound like a good idea? As someone who has finished second in a 1,100-person Moto PTQ, uh, I have to say that I'm not thrilled to have that experience again. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these standard ones will be small. Um, you, you can't do it with the limited ones because those were, man, those were brutal. And uh, I, I had quite a few near calls in those, and, man, they felt horrible. They felt so bad. Uh, you know, all the, like, live PTQs, there's a little sting that comes along with losing, <laughs> but those thousand person ones where you were super close, where those are the hardest, hardest beats of my magic career. Um, I, I do like that we're down to just um, 
being able to hop right in the constructed ones again, though. The, the preliminary system made sense in theory to me, but I just found it cumbersome. For whatever reason, the time of the PPTQs like, didn't work with my schedule. Um, I, I like just being able to snap off, you know, oh, my Saturday's free, I'll play this PTQ now. It's, it's a one tournament thing. It's kind of like the same problem with the RPTQ system. Like, I don't want to have to play 10 tournaments to get into the tournament I care about. It's just better if you just let us get right to the tournament in the first place. But I do think Vince is right. This is mostly self-serving. I think numbers are, are down uh, far enough where this can happen now. And, and it, it's so funny because all you hear is about, you know, record number of logins, most consecutive players, but numbers are down. They, they seem really far down. Um, I, don't, I don't know what people are doing on Moto. They're just sitting there and looking like, wow, I kind of want to play Moto, but not really. And then they don't register for any tournaments. Like, what happens? Uh, there might be a lot of people logged in, but um, yeah, I, maybe it's just a reaction to current standard, like everything else going on. But yeah, I'm happy with this. This is fine. Yeah, a really, a really good point, Vince. I didn't really think about that. Uh, uh, Rob? No, uh, Limited is very popular on Moto right now, which is uh, great if you're interested in saving time, but it's kind of uh, also terrible because uh, the market is saturated, so like none of the cards are worth anything, and there's nowhere to pick up the demand because everyone hates standards. <laughs> yeah, so, like, um, yeah sorry, it's weird. Man. It's weird. It's really weird. Go ahead. The market was saturated on like day two because no one wanted any of the cards from this set. Like I think if you went on MTG Goldfish a week after the set came out, I think that's the site. Anyway, the site that lists all the, the Moto card prices, there was one card that was over five tickets. And it was Ronus, and everything else was below five tickets within a week. That's like it, unprecedented low prices for for Magic singles. When it's, yeah, it was, it's uh, it's super crazy. Yeah. But I mean, just look at like some of the stuff going on in BFC and some of the stuff going on in Kaladesh is just so much more powerful than the stuff going on in Amonkhet. So I think you need to wait. But I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe if you're like a speculator, picking up like a bunch of cards that are definitely like good but very cheap now is probably worthwhile i guess right like next year after uh, a bunch of the more powerful blocks rotate out and those cards have been like dispersed in people's accounts that are like not really playing at that time and they're like not all with the bots uh i have to imagine that some of those cards definitely go up once the demand changes for them right um i don't know what what the prices are on stuff today i remember just being yeah, like there's nothing over ten dollars in the whole set. <laughs> Ronus is the highest at uh, at seven, but uh, like, where's Glorybringer? Like, Glorybringer is two fifty. So I mean, like, yeah, Angel of Sanctions is a dollar eighty five. Th- those cards are probably going to go up at, at some point, right? Like they're definitely powerful. Um, they can't go down, right? <laughs> I, th- not, I, feel, I feel like they can't go down much more. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I have a bunch of spare tickets. Maybe I'll make a bet. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think Kyle will be uh, surprised because you might not know that we started late, but uh, we'll wrap up the show. There's actually three spoiler cards from uh, Hour of Devastation from NTG Salvation. Conveniently, I've got these three guys on here, so I'll give one to each. I'll start with you, uh, Brian, and, and you give me, I guess, whether it's a bad card, going to make, like, judge its, uh, its constructed impact. What do you think its constructed impact will be? So we'll start with Bantu. It's Last Reckoning, two black, one colorless, sorcery, destroy all creatures, 
lands you control don't untap during your next untap step. Three mana wrath. What, what this, do you is think? The, this is the hardest card I've seen to evaluate in a very long time, and I will probably, um, probably be wrong about this. I think this is a format staple. I, I think. I'm, that's, that's how I'm leaning right now. Three mana wrath is too powerful. Um, you know, at, you're looking at it. The negative side of it is looking at it on turn three and being like, wow, I'm, I'm really boned if I play this on turn three. As you get into the later game, um, it's, it's possible that it's better. You can set up your turns a little bit better to not use any mana on the rest of your turn. But it also like really hamstrings you on those big turns too. If, if you have eight mana or seven mana and, and you have to wrath, but you also have to counterspell on their next turn. Well, now you're not untapping seven lands. So in that context, it's worse than playing it on turn three. You're losing access to seven mana as opposed to access to three mana. This is the type of card I would 100% have to play with before I could say authoritatively it's good or bad. I actually think the answer is going to be apparent like that. Like you're going to play a few games with this in a blue-black control deck, and you're either going to be able to say, this is amazing or this is unplayable. It's not going to skirt the line. It's, it's going to be very clear. But without having played the games yet, I'm leaning towards playable, I, but it would not shock me at all if I was totally wrong on this one. Very difficult card to evaluate. Okay. Uh, moving on to Raw, we get the, the... Man, these cards are pretty damn sweet. This is actually the first time I've seen, seen them. <laughs> Nicol is God Pharaoh. Uh, Grixis, blue, black, red, and four colorless, so seven mana in total, for seven loyalty, Plus two, target opponent exiles cards from the top of his or her library until he or she exiles a non-land card. Until end of turn, you may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Plus one, each opponent exiles two cards from his or her hand. Minus four, Nicobola's Godfather deals seven damage to target opponent creature and opponent controls. And the minus 12, exile each non-land permanent your opponent's control. So is this bonkers, Rob? Yeah, it's definitely bonkers. <laughs> it's only so I don't know. Uh they tried to do this whole like theme of sevens because like the first Nickel Bolas card referenced a bunch of sevens uh or whatever, like discard seven cards or deal seven damage or something stupid like that. So like this card costs seven mana and starts with seven loyalty to keep consistent <laughs> with like that uh theme or whatever. But, like, this card is completely insane for seven mana. It's, like, uh, <laughs> at least as good uh, as Ugin, uh, I think, anyways, looking at it. Um, and it costs a mana cheaper. Like, yeah, it's not colorless, but you can just, like, play Chandra on four uh, and then play this on five. I feel like you're not losing a lot of games where, um, where that happens. And uh, if this makes it, if Marvel doesn't get banned, this makes its way into the Marvel mirror. It's kind of like a Marvel, but you're like targeting your opponent's deck, right? <laughs> you can see if you hit, hit their Ulamog before they do. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, exile two cards from your opponent's hand is also like a very, very powerful ability, and it basically gets to kill any player or creature for minus four. So, um, yeah, I, I like this card. And, and he has that other dumb uh, sorcery from... Uh, I don't know what he even said it was in. Was it in Aether Revolt? Uh, the five mana like sack a creature, draw a card, and and yeah, I don't know. You you do a bunch of things. It's like two Grixis, and then you you get to do like a mini cruel ultimatum. But I think also like if you cast a nickel bolus, something happens. You get to buy it back. 
or like it buys a nickel balls back when you cast it if a nickel balls in your I, I can't remember exactly the wording, oh, but wow. uh something good happens with nickel balls and his sorcery that was uh in a different set for some reason. But uh yeah, I don't know. I feel like this card is gonna take over standard uh as soon as as soon as Marvel's gone and might even take over standard with Marvel still in it. So <laughs> we'll we'll see what's up. It's definitely something very, very good. That, that, that's definitely clear. It is, it is ramped up in power level. And I, I might be wrong since I don't play much casual magic, but I feel like this is going to start at a very high, high price tag just because, man, exile two cards from all opponents? That's pretty brutal. Okay, we'll start with the last card. 50 bucks. Vince <laughs> <laughs> tag. Um, Samit Detested. I th- that's my guess at how it's pronounced. Uh, four loyalty for uh, another planeswalker. Uh, one red, one green, two colorless, plus one. Up to one target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Minus two. Uh, she deals two damage divided as you choose among one or two target creatures and or players. And minus seven, search your library for up to two creature and or planeswalker cards. Put them onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Usually it's like in your hand or something, these cards. Uh, what do you think about it, Vince? Well... <laughs> I'll say I'm I'm glad you gave me this card to work with because this is a very easy card to give an opinion on. I think this card is complete garbage. I don't think this card is going to see play in standard. Uh, what? Okay, so here's here's my litmus test for planeswalkers, and I guess Nickel Balls is an exception because it's a weird one. But generally, for for a four mana planeswalker, it has to do something to protect itself in a in a relatively powerful way when it comes into play for it to be good, right? Like we see Gideon makes tokens. Um, Jace bounced things and did a whole bunch of other unfair things. Um, Samit pluses to give a creature double strike, so it's asking you to attack with the creatures that you want to be protecting Samit with, or starts at two loyalty by shocking a creature. Like, that's pretty unexciting to begin with. Um, it's fork bolt fins. Okay, it's sorry, fork bolt, so we get to kill two <laughs> one ones and, and hope she lives. What a great scenario. Anyway, uh, I feel like the scenario where this card is good is when you're, like, plussing, maybe not even attacking, and then you have some really good, like, tooth and nail win con on turn six, seven? Turn seven, it would be? Yeah, when you minus seven. Um, I will say this, because no one in this podcast would ever think about this, but in EDH, this card is the nut with doubling season. Because you cast it and you tooth and nail instantly. So for all of you casual gamers out there, this is your new tooth and nail. I, I think um, actually that's like maybe not super uncompetitive in modern because there's already like a doubling season planeswalker <laughs> deck that some people bring to FNM and sometimes they like you know can prize with it. And if you're playing four Samit and four Bolas, you can like play Samit and then get a Bolas and a Samit, deal your opponent seven. Then do it again, it and do it again until they're big twenty-eight. You can just cast Emrakul and the old set. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't cast it. It doesn't cast it. Just puts it into play. No. Yeah. No. No. Oh. But you could. You could use Jace before the old doubling season deck. Use Jace, Architect of Thought, and it ended with them just cast casting Emrakul. Does it cast it though? I'm pretty sure. Like I'm gonna the Jace ultimate does. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard from stupid. It's too fair for this deck. Why do yeah. you cast those cards? Yeah, but now you have now you have eight Jace. Okay, like come on. 
<laughs> okay, so you have eight Js. I, I don't I think would, that was the problem. Oh, actually, I guess you don't play bolus. You just like sam it for a Jace and, and call the call it GG. Right. So my evaluation was completely wrong. This card is a new modern staple. <laughs> Busted, wide open. Get them now while they're fifteen dollars. It's gonna be the next Jace, the Mind Sculptor, guys. Sam it, been tested, tested. It's been, it's tested. been tested by us. It's, it's a success. Definitely been tested. That I'm not, I'm not signing on to the statement. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting me to endorse this. This card's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> joke. don't actually ever play this card. Vince, do you think it's worse than Arlen Court? Oh, it's significantly worse than Arlen Court. And Arlen Court almost yeah. saw no play. So yeah, that's where we're at. I, I, wow. I tend, to, I tend to agree. I think, uh, I think that's accurate. <laughs> I think the order of, of Manicos or Planeswalker is Xenagos at one. I think. Like, it's not even close. Xenagos was clearly the best at this mana cost for what it did. Then Arlen Cord, and then this is, like, not even a... What about Sarkin? There was a Sarkin in there that was pretty shitty. Was there a Sarkin at two red-green? Oh, OG yeah. Sarkin. The, the first one. It's, oh, it's yeah, that's, that one was maybe the worst. Maybe red-green Planeswalkers are typically bad. bad. No, Domery Raid was great. Domery Raid. Domery Raid was very good. So if you pay one less mana, you get a Planeswalker. You get better way Planeswalker. better card. Way better. Yeah, that's right. That's weird. That's interesting. I think <laughs> so, yeah, if it would cost four, though, I would still rather have Domery Raid than most of those other yeah, cards. Yeah, spots. exactly. So that's how good Sam it is. Take notes, guys. Take I notes. can't believe it doesn't give the creature vigilance for plus one. It's just so insane. Yeah. It What's could be cool? probably plus three, right? Give a creature double strike, and it's probably still not great. It's minus two should be minus one. That would make the card playable. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree with that. Maybe, maybe. Actually, it probably still wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good. What was the happens. final power, power rankings for for Gruel Planeswalkers? We got. I think I think Xenagos is better than Domri. No, Domri sees modern play. I know Domri sees modern play, but like, I feel like in in standard, like the Xenagos was better than. No, the, you're you're forgetting the Domri decks for sure. Like the, yeah, the red green beatdown sure. decks were so good. Those decks were great. I just like casting Stormbreath Dragon and, and Prolucranos in the same turn maybe too much. <laughs> That's about Vin's <laughs> card, though. It has nothing to do with, with Xenagos. The, the Domery decks were completely dominant. Like They were like the Flint Hoof Boar, uh, Thunder Maw Hellkite decks, and they were bonkers. And, and yeah, there was no, Domery's definitely good. I agree. Domery's definitely really good, too. Okay, fine. I'll I'll concede Domri to to Xenagos, <laughs> sure. And then the rest of the garbage is just wrapped up in a ball. Yeah, yeah, all garbage. Ball, yeah. <laughs> They're in the Tibble tier, hanging out with Tibble. Yeah, damn, get me to it. Um, man, I don't even remember. Wow, the Sarkin. I have to I have to re- read it again. Wow. Alrighty, uh, I think that's our show. Anything else you guys want to quickly plug or mention? Uh no, battle battle me in Tekken <laughs> if you want. If anyone's playing Tekken, holler at me. We'll Tekken what fights. is it just called Tekken now or is there no Tekken seven? New Tekken, Tekken seven. That's where we're at, eh? Jeez. Yeah, yeah it's sick. Tekken three once. Yeah, that's kind of where my last experience was. But we're slowly getting back <laughs> up to speed. All right, I'm a huge shout out to uh, our, our first rate producers: Isaiah Carrero, Adrian Richardson, Derek Pite, Kyle Smirchik. I'll see some of you. In Vegas uh, next week. And uh, for me, Brian, Rob, Vince, thanks for checking the show. Please leave a thumbs up and we'll see you next week. 
actually, no, I won't. I won't actually be here. We're gonna have to find someone to host this. So, <laughs> you guys, Car's not here. We're doing whatever we want. Wait, I'm going to try our nonsense. Car's not here. We're starting at nine. <laughs> I was, I was wrong. I could, I could cast from from the hotel. So. Never mind, never mind. Okay, car's I, I, gonna I, be I here. We'll start it. We'll start at nine seventeen. <laughs> oh, we're trying to stay, man. Okay, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.